From minimum wage to six-figure incomes, high school diplomas to PhDs, this podcast is about the workers who make up our nation's economy. I'm Allie, and this is Employed. I think the best lawyers are lawyers who will listen and be observant and learn how to be empathetic. And frankly, those are the best negotiators because they know how to listen. They know how to let someone know that they understand their position. Thank you so much for joining me today, Ashley, and coming onto the show. Can you introduce yourself? Yes, thanks so much. My name is Ashley Garvey-Smith, and I own AGS Law, which is a law firm that is focused on business law, estate planning, and probate. I'm based out of Utah, and currently I'm in Highland, Utah, and I worked for another firm as an attorney in Salt Lake City, Utah. So I've I've been an attorney now for about three years now. Can you share with us a little bit how you got interested in this career field? Yeah, so I have a little bit of a unique story in that I didn't have the typical path of graduating from high school, going to college, going to law school. When I graduated high school, my only goal was to be a rock star. So I was a musician and my goal was to become a famous musician. So I was in bands. I had no intention of going to college ever. And I met a boy in one of my bands and we started dating and we ended up getting married when I was about 20 years old. And after about two years of marriage, he actually passed away in a helicopter accident. And so I hadn't gone to I hadn't gone to college at that point, but I had a job and they wanted to give me a promotion, but they said, we can't promote you unless you have a college degree. And so, you know, I was, I was struggling financially. I had some debt because I had to pay for his funeral and, you know, his headstone and costs that most 22 year olds don't ever have to think about paying. And, but, you know, it was really hard. It was hard being a young widow, but it also gave me an interesting perspective on life that I, you know, he was 26 when he passed away and he was a helicopter pilot and he was doing exactly what he wanted to do. And so I thought, you know, I want to be a musician and I want to do all of this, but my music career wasn't, I mean, I was playing music live and it was a lot of fun. and, And I was a professional musician for about 15 years of my life. But, you know, I thought I'm, I'm going to just go to college because I can and, and just see where it takes me. So I ended up going to college and while I was in college, I was a paralegal for a law firm to help pay for college and to help pay for living expenses And so it was while I was a paralegal for that law firm that I realized I was really interested in, in the law and civil litigation and in transactional law, business law and estate planning. And, and I kind of looked around at some other lawyers and I thought, Hey, if, if that guy can do it, I can definitely do it. And so I went to college after my first husband passed away. And then I actually ended up meeting my second husband and we got married a couple years later and i had two kids and and it was always a goal to go to law school but i also wanted to be a mom and so for about 7 years i was a stay at home mom until the pull to go to law school was so strong and i really felt like that was what i needed to do and so i ended up going to law school in well when i was 30 years old what an incredible story 
Thank you so much for sharing that and sharing the experience of having an idea of what your life was going to look like. And then, of course, the unexpected happening and and having to reevaluate what you're going to do and and what your life's purpose is from there. And I'm so sorry for your loss and you having to go through that and at such a young age. So thank you for sharing that. Can you speak a little bit about the education that is required to become an attorney? And obviously, most of us know about the bar exam. And so can you share a little bit about what that experience was like? Yeah. So, you know, you have to get a four-year degree and a lot of people think you have to get a a degree in political science or, you know, something that's related to the law and you absolutely do not have to. And so, you know, get, if, if you're interested in law, get a degree in something that you enjoy. It does help to get a degree in political science or English or something that helps you become a better writer or helps you think a little bit differently. So it can help, but it really for most law schools, doesn't matter, but you get the four-year degree first, get your bachelor's in either, you know, a BS or a BA. And then to apply for law school, you have to take what's called the LSAT. And it's, it's the worst test ever because it's really hard to study for. And, and I would recommend if you're thinking of taking the LSAT, I would highly recommend taking a course because the course teaches you, there are some there are some what they call gains in the LSAT. They are not fun at all, but that's what they call them to make them sound fun. But it's really important to learn how to work those gains so that you can do well on the LSAT. And then the LSAT score, along with your GPA for your undergrad, will help you then apply to the law schools that you want to get into. Now, if you want to get in to one of the you know, top 30 law schools in the country, you have to have a pretty high GPA and a fairly high LSAT score. So just to give you an idea. So the first time I took the LSAT, I did not prepare well. I did not take a course. Someone said, Hey, just go in there and just take it and see how you do. That was really terrible advice. And so the first time that I took the LSAT, I got an above average score but it wasn't a good enough score to get into the law schools that I wanted to get into. And so I ended up taking it a second time. They do it about every couple months. There are dates that they do it. So I ended up taking a course and my score shot up 15 points, which is fairly significant. And I was able to get into the exact law school that I wanted to get into. My GPA was fairly high. It was a 3.95 GPA for my undergrad. And then my LSAT score ended up being a 163. That might not mean anything to anyone who hasn't taken the LSAT, but if you are taking the LSAT, you know, a 3.95 and a 163 was good enough to allow me to get into the school that I wanted to with a partial scholarship as well. And so then law school is three years. And after you do the three years of law school, then after that, you have to take the absolute worst test in the world called the bar exam. And you have to take it in the state in which you want to practice. So I'm licensed in Utah. I took the Utah bar. It's a two-day test. In California, it's three days. In some states, it's three days. And it's absolutely terrible. That was truly probably, despite all of the challenges that I've been through in my life, that was the hardest thing that I ever went through was studying for that bar exam and taking that bar exam. But it was 100% worth it. And so with the bar exam, 
with those differing state to state, depending on which state you're taking the exam in, do you find that attending law school in the state that you plan to take the bar or the, the state that you plan to practice in is beneficial? Or do you feel like the law schools across the board cover nationwide or federal laws? Yeah, that's a really good question because here's the truth. Law school does not teach you how to be a lawyer, which is such a paradox. You would think, oh, I'm going to go to law school. I'm going to learn how to be a lawyer. Law school is kind of this, it's still a little bit old fashioned and antiquated. And so a lot of the classes you teach, they teach on a federal level. So it's a nationwide level. There's not a lot of local classes or courses that you can take. The good thing about going to a law school in a state where you want to practice is that for your summer job, it's a little bit easier to find a job in that state. However, I had a lot of friends who, you know, went to law school in Utah, but then in the summer they would move to California or New York or DC and have jobs there. And so it really doesn't matter because ultimately, and and the truth is even the bar exam, the state bar exam that you take is not necessarily state specific. Some of them are, but most of them are still focused on kind of a nationwide level or a federal level. And so really when you learn to be a lawyer is when you get your first job and you're kind of thrown to the wolves and you have to learn that way. So it only matters if if you want to plant roots in that state and you know what state you want to practice in. I knew because I went to law school a little bit later. My husband had a really great job here in Utah. And so we couldn't move. We weren't in a position to move into another state. But it does matter what law school you go to because there are there are some firms and some legal jobs and, and clerking positions for judges that you can't get if you don't go to a certain law school or, you know, a, a law school that's ranked in a certain range. Sure. Okay. That's great information. And so what kind of demographics have you seen within this career field? Do you feel like it is still mostly male dominated as we've traditionally seen? So in Utah, it is still very much a male-dominated industry. To give you some perspective, I graduated from BYU in 2018. 35% of my classmates were female. So there were 135 of us, 35% of 135. There were eight of us that were mothers. And so there is actually more I, I guess you would call it non-traditional students in law school than you might expect, because I think a lot of women are feeling a lot more empowered now to take to take that step. And, um, you know, sometimes, you know, like I said, I had kids and all of a sudden I was looking at my life and saying, hey, I want to contribute. I want to contribute to the world. I want to contribute to my household. I want to be a good example to my children. And I think that happens a lot. And so you know, there were eight mothers and, and five of those mothers were single mothers in law school. And so they were mothers who had either gone, you know, were widowed or had gone through a divorce that were now starting their careers. But once I got out into the workforce and I worked for a mid-sized law firm, there were 12 attorneys in the law firm. I was the only female attorney in that law firm. And before me, this law firm started in 1980. And before me, they had only had two other female attorneys working for that law firm. So from 1980 
to 2020, they had only had three female attorneys working for that law firm. So in Utah, it is still very much male dominated. I will say in other states, it's actually starting to um, even out a little bit where you have, you know, kind of 50, 50. And I think in a lot of law schools outside of Utah, it's actually generally around 50% of each. Now, the cool thing about BYU is last year, 50% of their students were female. And that's the highest that it's ever been. So I think it's really great that a lot more women are going to law school and are getting into the field because we really need more female lawyers. That's encouraging to know that the field is starting to become a lot more inclusive towards women. Do you find that there is any sort of advantage or disadvantage to being a woman in this field? Absolutely. And, you know, it's it's sad, but it is the reality. When I started as a lawyer, like once I graduated and passed the bar, I started in civil litigation. So I was a, I was a litigator. I was a litigation lawyer. And so I was in court. I was fighting against other attorneys a lot. And there were some pretty crazy things that happened both with clients, with attorneys on the other side and with, you know, parties on the other side, male and female. And I would talk to my partners about it. I would talk to my colleagues about it, male colleagues. And they would all say, this has never happened to me. No, no judge ever treated me that way. No client ever treated me that way. No opposing counsel ever treated me that way. You are treated differently, especially in a field like litigation, where it's very adverse. And, and I mean, we can talk about this later if, if you want, but I ended up leaving litigation just because it, it didn't fit with my personality. I didn't like the com- the combative nature of litigation. And there was, there were some disadvantages that I saw to being a female litigator. And I, I will also say I'm only five feet tall. So I'm, I'm a really short female. And when you are five feet tall and you're standing in front of a judge and your opposing counsel is six, three, there is some disadvantage there. There, there just is. And it's, really unfortunate. And I hope it changes over time, but that's the reality. And the way that I was treated in some depositions and, and some more adversarial meetings was different than the way my male counterparts had been treated in the past. Yeah. Thank you for that truthful perspective. And yes, I definitely would love to circle back to uh, your choice of leaving litigation but first, let's ask about salary, about pay. And I'm sure that this uh, there's so many factors that go into this. But can you talk a little bit about the range of salary that someone might expect in this field? Yeah. And I think it's important to know, because I think sometimes people think, well, I'm going to be a lawyer and I'm going to make so much money. And the reality is it depends on what kind of lawyer you are. It depends on the firm you work for. But if you're going to work for the government, you're going to have a lot more flexibility. So if you're going to be like a public defender or you're going to be a prosecutor you know, or, or, or work for some type of government agency, the pay is going to be a lot less than if you were in like the private sector and, and working for a firm. So the pay is a lot less. However, the benefits are phenomenal. It's really flexible. You don't have billable hour requirements like you do if you work for a firm. So 
you're probably looking and, and I'll speak to Utah just cause that's the area that I, I know best as far as the salary range goes. But if you are working in a government position, if you're starting out um, in a government position, you're probably starting somewhere around the $60,000 a year range. That's where you're starting out. Now there are prosecutors and public defenders that make a lot more than that after some years of experience. But like I said, the benefits are fantastic. And if you can become a judge later on in life, you're, you're set for life because the government is going to pay you a pension for the rest of your life. And it's, and it's great. So there are a lot of reasons to get into the governmental aspect of, of being an attorney and the, and getting in what we call the public sector. Now, the other section is called the private sector and that's, you know, a business. So that's your law, that's your law, law firms and other types of practices. And those tend to pay a little bit more. If you work for what we call a big law firm, um, we call it big law. If you work in big law, you're probably starting out definitely over six figures. You start out probably in the $120,000 a year range. That's where you're starting in big law. Now, here's the drawback to something like that. You have billable hour requirements. And generally, those are around 2,000 hours a year. And for some perspective, if you have a billable hour requirement of 2,000 hours a year, you are probably working 10 to 12 hour days every day and probably a lot of weekends. And I find a lot of people get into it because the salary is so great. And then they realize, okay, if I broke this down hourly, I'm like really not making that much money hourly because I'm working my life away. And so it depends on your lifestyle. If you're single and you don't have a family, or if you, you know, if you're young and married and you don't have kids, it's actually, it can be a really great job. It's really hard for some people with families and children to work in those positions, but they do. It's just, you have to, you have to be able to, that, I don't believe in balance, but you have to be able to be okay with the fact that you're just going to be working, you know, 10 to 12 hour days most of the time. Now I have my own firm. And, and as a firm owner, obviously you have a lot of flexibility. And I would say, I know, I know people who are solo practitioners like me who make anywhere between $75,000 on the low end a year up to $500,000 a year on, you know, you can do really, really well as a solo practitioner or owning your own law firm. So the range is pretty big, but but I would say on average, if you're going to work for somebody else, you're probably going to make around, you know, around $120,000 a year starting out, unless you're working for a smaller firm, then you're probably going to start out around eighty dollars to $90,000 a year. Okay. Thank you for explaining the difference between uh, working more on the government side versus the private sector. I think that's really helpful information. Can you talk a little bit about what an average day might look like for you, as well as what a typical client interaction looks like? Um, my average day is I get to the office. Well, generally, I try to plan my day the night before. Um, once I get done with all, well, once I get done with all my work, I'm usually never done with work, but I try to plan my day the night before. And so when I get in, I have my schedule set out for the day. And generally, if I have any deadlines, which is possible, like I try to knock those out first. And most of the time, and I would say this is probably typical for most attorneys, 
it's a lot of paperwork. You know, you watch shows like Suits and Law and Order, and it seems so exciting to be a lawyer. And sometimes it is, but you're really not in court that much, even if you're a litigator. If you're a prosecutor or a public defender, you're going to be in court most days. But so I'm talking on the private sector side. If you're working for a firm or you're, you know, you're working for yourself, then most of the time it's paperwork. Do it, you know, drafting contracts, writing pleadings and motions for court, um, filing documents, and then also advising and having meetings. I am on the phone. I would say probably most of my day, I am on the phone with clients. And um, that's almost every day I spend at least half of my day on the phone with clients ad advising them and working out issues that they have now because I'm a business law attorney and an estate planning attorney I also meet with I still have to meet with clients to get things signed because estate planning you still have to like physically sign documents the great thing about business law is most things can be done electronically so I don't meet in person with a lot of my business clients but my estate planning clients I have actually decided that part of my practice is I will go to clients where they are. And so some of my day is actually traveling to where my clients are and getting them to sign their estate planning documents, their will and their trust and getting those notarized. And then because I'm a business owner, I actually spend some of my time actually working on my business as well. So I know that's a little bit different because I own my own firm, but as far as just the lawyer side, a lot of it is mostly drafting documents, but I love to write. I love write, and I love technical writing. I've always been kind of this grammar nerd. I like to call it a grammarista. And so I really love like just taking apart documents and finding better ways to say things that make it clearer to my clients and the other parties. And most of my time is spent on the computer drafting documents. Is there a day that stands out to you in a positive way or what does a good day look like for you? You know, I don't know if it's so much a day, but I ended up leaving civil litigation, like I said, because it just was not an area of practice that I loved. But what made me actually realize that is I would meet with a lot of elderly clients for their estate planning. And I loved those interactions so much. And you kind of become a therapist or a, you know, kind of like a therapist or a counselor to some of your clients. And so, you know, there was, there was one client that sat across from me and his wife had just passed away. And so he came to me because he wanted to clean up his estate planning because he had to deal with some tough stuff with, with his wife passing away is on the legal side. And he sat across from me and he just cried because he missed his wife. And this was a 70 year old man that had been married for many, many years. And, and he just cried and talked to me about how wonderful his wife was and how much he missed his wife. And we got his estate plan together. And, and when we got it done, he cried again and said, thank you and said how thankful he was. And it's, you know, I'm just drafting documents and I'm, you know, I'm helping them put their estate plan together. But it was when I had these interactions, these really positive interactions with clients where I felt like there was this connection and I was really helping them. I wanted to become a lawyer so I could help people. And, you know, I have done a little bit of criminal law, um, but I do mostly, I do mostly estate planning and business law, but it's interesting how even some of those areas of law where you wouldn't think it's like a lot of helping people, how much it can really affect people. And so 
you know, I, I have really enjoyed those meetings with clients where I've sat across from them. We've been able to talk and they feel like they can really trust me and that I'm a trusted advisor for them. And they've been able to open up and I help them and we get stuff together and they're just really grateful. And that is, to me, that's a good day. Thank you so much. I, that is such an interesting response. Cause I think that when we, you know, imagine helping professions we usually don't group lawyers or attorneys into that those types of fields but when you think about it your your clients are people who are really experiencing generally bad situations and and maybe you know the worst experiences of their lives and you know attorneys can play such a big role in how the clients feel and, and experience these situations. And so I can see why compassion and empathy would be traits that are important. So what about a bad day for you or what's a challenge that you are frequently facing? You know, for me, I think the biggest challenge is when you are helping a client and you're not able to help them get the result that they ultimately want. And it's hard as a lawyer because, you know, it's a little bit different at, let's say, a, a business coach or a life coach. You know, you're someone who is pumping people up all the time and, and, and motivating and, and influencing them for good. And, and that's a really great feeling because you just do that all day, every day. As a lawyer, my job is not to just blow sunshine at you. My job is to be very real with you and, and say, you know, like we've come this far in this situation and here are the risks and it, this might not be what you want to hear, but you know, you're going to have to make these concessions. You're, you're going to end up losing money if you do this and this and your client, you know, my clients and your clients is if you're an attorney, aren't always going to like what you have to tell them. And they're not always going to like you because my job isn't to get my clients to like me. My job is to make sure that they're protected and that they're not going to take these huge risks that are going to ruin their lives. So that's, that is a challenge because sometimes I want to be the life coach, but most of the time I have to say, Hey, this is a bad decision. You're making a bad decision and you're going to have to pay this person a lot of money to get out of this mess that you're in that, you know, and I've had clients be really, you know, become very, very upset with me because I have to be honest with them. Yeah, it sounds like a tough shell is pretty important in a field like this. Is there an experience that stands out to you that was pretty unexpected? Yeah, okay. So, and this, this is actually, this was the catalyst for me of leaving my law firm and starting my own law firm and quitting litigation right around when the pandemic started. And I had some clients who were suing their HOA because there was some settling, some foundation settling in their home that ended up costing them like $70,000 to fix the foundation because they were trying to sell their home. And then they found out they couldn't sell their home because there were these foundation issues. They came in gung-ho and they're like, we want to sue the HOA. And we said, well, okay, like this is not a sure case, right? They came in thinking, we're going to sue the HOA. We're going to get our money back. This is a sure thing. And we said, well, here's why it's not a sure thing. And, and, and we were very honest with them. And we said, but we can proceed with the litigation if you want and, and kind of see where it goes, or, or we can send them a demand letter and see if they'll be willing to settle or pay you something. But these clients were like, nope, we want to do this. 
it's the principle of the thing and they were full speed ahead on the lawsuit so we get through the we get kind of halfway through the lawsuit and halfway through the lawsuit is i mean you're talking about six months you know or more we, these lawsuits last a really long time they're expensive for to pay your attorneys that they are emotionally draining they are physically draining because you have to go to these depositions and and so we had gone through what we call the discovery process and and we were at a point where it was clear that if we went to trial my clients were not going to win what we really needed to do was just reach some kind of settlement if we could and so we were in a mediation the HOA was on one side and this because it was right when the pandemic started it was a our very first like zoom mediation and and we were very new to this and so I had my clients with me in you know who knows where the other parties were in the other zoom room and then we had the mediator that was coming back and forth in the zoom rooms and you know the mediator said hey Ashley's clients you know you will lose in trial so this is what the HOA is willing to pay you to settle this. And it covered their attorney fees, but but then there was only like a little bit left. And so it didn't cover like the $70,000. And my clients came in thinking they were going to get like a thousand, $100,000 settlement. And the thing was, I don't know that I, if I didn't manage their expectations or, or what happened, but my clients were ticked. I mean, they were just mad. And, and I said to them, I'm like, hey, you know this is a good settlement what they're offering it was actually a good settlement and in good settlements both parties have to walk away kind of feeling like they got screwed excuse my language but <laughs> they, they kind of both have to walk away feeling kind of terrible about the situation and so i said this is really good and it was a husband and wife they got up and started yelling in, in my face telling me i was a joke that i was a terrible attorney that and and they were like yelling the f word at me they stormed out of my office i was i was in my office there were other attorneys they stormed down the hall were just dropping the f bomb and screaming and and the mediation wasn't over it was still happening and they come back in and they i mean it was it was terrible and i had to sit there and take it and and finally I mean, there was a point where I just couldn't take it anymore. And I was like, you're, you are not going to talk to me like that. I've got the two of you gaining up on me. We're not going to do this. If you don't want to settle, then we're done. And I said, I, I will not take this to litigation. And the wife said, I would never, ever hire you and ever again. And I'm going to go and I'm going to write a horrible review and I'm going to report you to the bar. And it was, it was really terrible. And I, I held it together and they ended up taking the settlement but they were mad they were really mad and they stormed out of the office and they're like we hope we never see you again and that was like a feeling is mutual and they stormed out and once they stormed out i just lost it i mean i just started crying and i had never cried at work before and i just started crying and i just thought frankly i i didn't really blame them because they had spent tens of thousands of dollars on attorney fees on, on my attorney fees and they ended up getting those paid for but then just like a tiny bit extra after that and it feels terrible after like kind of wasting a year of your life on this and i just i felt like anytime in litigation when someone went quote unquote wins it never feels like a win you kind of walk away feeling terrible anyway and 
And I had a couple experiences like that with like other parties where they were like yelling at me, which I expected because I'm an attorney, like they're not going to like me if they're the other party and I'm the attorney on the other side. But it was that experience with my own clients where I thought I, I don't want to have to deal with this and I can choose another area of law where I don't have to deal with this. Okay. Wow. Yeah, that's interesting. So that leads me into two more questions. Can you speak a little bit about that process of leaving litigation? What was that like? Did you did you find yourself second guessing your decision? Yeah, it was really scary because I had a great job. I loved the firm that I worked for. It paid really well. It was very it was stable and I had a great job, but I wanted to practice law my way. And that's really hard to do when you have five bosses and you know five partners in a law firm that are telling you how to practice law. And one of the issues with law and being a lawyer is if you work for a law firm, the law has trouble adapting to like technology and the way that people are doing business. And so as a new lawyer, it was hard for me to go to the partners at my law firm who had been practicing 30 plus years and say, hey, we need to do this kind of marketing we should do some flat fee basis rather than hourly billing. You know, there were just, there were ways that I wanted to practice law that, that weren't conducive to this traditional law firm. And so I, because I'm an entrepreneur at heart, I really am. And I just realized I'm going to be miserable for the rest of my life if I continue to work in litigation, first of all, because I didn't like it. There are some cases where that need to go to litigation. There really are. But probably eight times out of 10, I'm going to talk you out of a lawsuit. Because I didn't like litigation and because I really wanted to practice law the way I wanted to practice law, I knew that it was the right decision for me. But I'll tell you that first month, I really second guessed myself and, and thought, what, what am I doing? But after the first month, and because I was practicing law the way that I wanted to, I loved it. I was so much happier. And frankly, I was making a lot more money a lot more money because I wasn't, there wasn't this law firm overhead that I had to pay to all, you know, to my law firm for all the clients that I brought in. And so the clients that I brought in, I made that money, you know, my, my business makes that money, but, but there's something about that that keeps you also motivated to continue to go out and market and get more clients and practice the way that you want to. So it was scary, but it was truly the best decision that I could have made for myself because I am an entrepreneur at heart. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think we see a lot and many of these experiences have been shared on this podcast, but that risk of having to leave something that's comfortable for something that is more of your passion and something that you find is going to bring you more happiness. And I love to hear, you know, the positive outcomes in stories like that. And then my next question is a field that we often label as this dog eat dog career. Do you find that there's certain personality traits or characteristics within people working in this field that you find maybe help them succeed? Oh, absolutely. And, and I have seen people not succeed in this career. Now it depends on, again, it depends on kind of what you're doing, but if we're talking about like a, a law firm, you know, the private sector, you have to be very focused and dedicated to what you do. And you would think that you have to be an extrovert. I don't find that's the case. In fact, I think you'd be surprised that a lot of lawyers tend to be introverts, but it's because they're very observant. You have to be able to be extremely observant. You have to be able to see both sides of every situation. 
And they teach you that in law school, you have to argue both sides of the situation. If, if you can't see both sides of a situation, then you're not going to be a good lawyer because you've got to argue that other, you know, got, you've got to argue against that other side and know what those arguments are going to be. Now you don't have to be argumentative. I'm a very like cooperative, more empathetic personality. And I think that that is actually an advantage. Well, I think, you know, some people are like, I want a bulldog. I want to go, you know, I want an attorney that's going to go in there and fight and be a bulldog and, and not back down. I will tell you, that means you want a very expensive attorney that's going to drag out your case and that's going to cause you problems. It might make stuff fall through for you. And you're going to end up paying a ton of money for that bulldog, not because they're a good attorney, but because they cause issues. And so I think that the legal field is kind of moving away from that personality trait, that kind of bulldog, aggressive, argumentative person. Now, now granted, there are a lot of those still in, in the industry, but I think the best lawyers are lawyers who will listen and be observant and learn how to be empathetic. And frankly, those are the best negotiators because they know how to listen. They know how to let someone know that they understand their position, but they're also not going to back down. You can't, you can't be a pushover. And I have a lot of people who don't like me, but it's not me. They don't know me as a person. They just know me as the attorney on the other side. And so you can't take anything personally, you know, whether an extrovert or introvert doesn't really matter as long as you can have some empathy. And as long as you can have a thick skin and you know, you have to be willing to get in the trenches and be dedicated and be focused. And it does take a smart person to be a lawyer too. You have to be an intelligent person. And then finally, what advice would you give to someone who is considering this career field? Reach out to the lawyers that you know, and make sure that if you go to law school, you really want to practice law. I know a lot of people who start, they think I want to go to law school because I want to be an entrepreneur. And I think going to law school will help me be a better business owner. And what tends to happen with those kinds of people is they end up dropping out of law school and they end up kind of wasting a lot of time and money. If you want to be an entrepreneur and business owner and you want to go to school, get an MBA. There are things about law school. You are ranked. So we had 135 people in my class. You are ranked one to 135. And everything that you do is based on a curve and you know, who is ranked at the top and you know, who is ranked at the bottom. And that, that can be very hard for some people to deal with, you know, mentally and emotionally. If, if you don't want to deal with that and you don't really want to practice law, but you just want to go to law school because you think it might be fun or it might be good experience. I don't know that law school is the right track for you, but so talk to talk to lawyers and talk to lawyers in different areas of law. Talk to someone who's a prosecutor, someone who's a judge, who's a public defender. Talk to someone who works for a governmental agency and then talk to someone who works for a big firm. Talk to someone who works for a small firm and then talk to a solo practitioner like me who owns their own firm. You're going to get a lot of different perspectives, but it'll help you know if this is something that you truly want to do because like I said, law school, you, you've got to take the LSAT you have to go to law school and you have to take up the bar. It ends up being about five years of your life that you really have to dedicate to this profession before you can even start practicing. You've got to make sure that you're really in it for the right reasons. Thank you to Ashley for donating her time to the show. 
Follow us on Instagram at Employed Podcast and visit our website, employedpodcast.com. Thanks for listening.